0: We'll
1: To you all, and welcome to another episode of Frankly Speaking Baseball, right here on WWBG 1470 AM and WTOB 980 AM, 96.7 FM. We are also streaming, that's right, streaming on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, Twitch. Join all of our Frankly Speaking uh, Baseball sports networks and listen to us join and share also want to thank our five fabulous groups that tune in week after week after week on facebook groups real baseball talk they've been here every week with us also baseball talk sports.com as well as baseball life and not to leave out baseball away life and traditional baseball fans and as always I am sitting alongside my great co-host, Brett Wiseman. Brett, how you doing today, buddy? I'm fantastic, Larry. How are you? I'm great. We're coming down to the nitty-gritty. We're in the middle of August. Best time of year. And we got some, once again, some storylines I'd rather not be talking about. And then we got some storylines that are just incredible. We'll go over some of the ones I think, some of the ones... Brett may have, but I want to start off with one that's been really uh, concerning to me um, the last couple of days. The more and more I read up on it, and we're out in New York, I think it was Mike Puma, I'm not 100% sure, that did an article that Justin Verlander, throughout his short stay with the New York Mets, was basically uh, in his own world, not being... Um, I don't uh what's the word approachable by other teammates just not being a good teammate and talking a bad about the ball club and it raises a lot of questions for me Brett and I'd love to get your opinion on this but first of all if you have a guy on your team that is becoming a cancer to the team my first question would be why the heck are you keeping him I don't care how much money uh this guy is costing you At the end of the day it's supposed to be the most important thing is winning, 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 winning. And in this case, from what even Max Scherzer was saying, was he was really becoming annoying and affecting some of the teammates. And the second thing is, this is what happens when you put an in inexperienced G. I never understood Billy aper um then putting him in as a gm because he was with the angels before and he wasn't successful he was actually part of the demise of the angels why does baseball continue to put incompetent people that have failed before back in the same role
2: it's a great question and it's one that i've asked myself plenty of times but to your original question about did the Mets keep Justin Verlander for too long, I think both parties are at fault in that. Uh, I think Justin Verlander knew what he was getting into when he signed the dotted line with the New York Mets. He knew full well what kind of situation he was walking into. That means he has no excuses for the way he acted. It sounds to me... Like he should have never signed there in the first place. Sounds to me like he saw the biggest dollar sign amount. Now, I'm not saying Justin Verlander is one of those all-about-the-money guys in every situation. But I think in this case, his eyes got bug-eyed. He got bug-eyed. His eyes got big when he saw that, that number on that sheet. And he signed that dotted line with Steve Cohen. But he knew full well what he was getting into. So he's at fault. The New York Mets are at fault for creating and cultivating this culture of not even complacency, just complete and total dysfunction. Like they have Lindor, Scherzer, Verlander, Alonzo, all this talent. And it's so dysfunctional that when you look in the dugout, there's no energy. Nobody, it, it doesn't even look like those guys want to be playing baseball right now. When you but look at Fred, the post-game interviews, the it looks Is like everybody's the in their own world in the clubhouse. I mean, there's no cohesiveness to this. It's been like this since April, yes. even probably since back to spring training. So Justin Verlander knew what he was getting himself into, and he still signed. The Mets have had that atmosphere So, to me, both parties are at fault. Justin Verlander should have never signed, and the Mets should never have signed him.
1: You know, one thing we didn't mention then, you got to put at the top of the list at fault, has to be Buck Showalter. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. You know, here
1: he is. He's the manager of the team. He's letting this go on. He's seeing what goes on. And I think Buck is an actual, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, he got involved. He was an old school manager trying to change his way into the new analytic world, and it's kicked him in the butt because that's not his way of managing. And that is Bill. You got Bill Epper here that is all analytics, and Buck Showalter here that you know is an old school type manager that has a lot more gut. Not that he doesn't use any analytics, but you basically miss you know. You're not mixing. You're, it's apples and oranges. It's not two guys that are working together. And what happens when you create warm and cold air together? It creates thunder, and that's what we're finding out in in uh, Flushing right now.
2: Ask Tony Larusa how trying to be a new age manager as an old head worked out. Oh yeah, Buck Showalter's getting the Tony Larusa White Sox treatment right now. I mean, it's just kicking him in the rear end. You said it. And Tony La Russa had a talented roster with the White Sox. Now you see them dismantling that roster piece by piece. Now the Mets are doing the same thing because they've, the way that they have set things up, there's no cohesion. Uh, I mean, we talked about the roster, but I mean, from, from Buck Showalter to his coaching staff to up top, there are so many differences in, philosophy and opinion on how to do things that there's no one direction that the Mets are going right now. Everyone in a position of power in that organization has a different idea of how things should go, which means no arrow is going in the same direction.
1: Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. I'm going to switch it up here, buddy, and I'm going to say a A terrible story, a sad story, and I don't want to go ahead and not, you know, just talk about the player because we also have other people involved in this that it's very sad for too. But the Wando Franco story is just getting worse and worse and worse. You know, it started with him being suspended by Kevin Cash earlier in the year because of the way he was acting or reacting to striking out or making mistakes on the field that other teammates were complaining about. Listen to what I said. There was a coach here that did something about his player that the other team was complaining about, which is Kevin Cash. Now You're kidding. A manager can do that?
2: Hey, Hey, Aaron Boone. Aaron Boone. Hello.
1: I tell you what. Now it just so happens, and it's sad, and I feel bad for the people involved. Um, you know the, the you know the people that are complaining about it, but now Wando Franco, uh, you know, has actually it's more than one case now. Brett, uh, underage ladies coming out saying one as young as eighth grade saying that um, he uh, had either sexual experiences or whatever, and it just gets worse and worse. Could we have seen them? Possibly the last of Wando Franco.
2: I want to briefly touch on um, the, a, a portion of this that um, a lot of people may not know, just to give some context on it for those that may not have read up on the on the story yet. Um, on Sunday, uh, it was... The, the thing started circulating um, that a 14-year-old girl had posted pictures with Wander Franco uh, and had said that because Wander Franco did not give her, I believe her words were uh, a hush money in a Mercedes, uh, were were the girl's Mm -hmm. words in the post, um, that she was going to expose him. Those pictures to me looked pretty darn legit. And now that he's not only being investigated here in the U.S., but now he's being investigated by authorities in his home country in the Dominican Republic for having a similar relationship with an underage girl in the offseason, in the winter, in the Dominican Republic. And then had this relationship with this girl earlier on this season. Like, th- this was going on while he was playing Major League Baseball. Right. That's disgusting. Beyond any... Larry, there's no words. There aren't any words. There isn't. It's completely... And, and I, to answer your question, if this all turns out to be true, which uh, I'm, I'm an innocent until proven guilty kind of guy, but there there's a lot of evidence pointing to more towards guilty than innocent at this point. I don't think Wander Franco is playing another Major League Baseball game in his life. Yeah, and if and it's, it's true, I hope he doesn't.
1: Yeah, I, obviously, if it is true, I mean, I, what team would want him? I mean, you got to really be sick. I don't care how he plays the game. This is sickening, disgusting. Uh, not just for someone like myself that has kids, but so I mean, for anyone, it's just I, I don't understand it. Um, you know, even though he plays for the Rays, who I root for, I mean, this is ridiculous. And if I'm one of the players on that team, I don't want this guy nowhere around me.
2: No, I I don't want him in the clubhouse, period. I don't care how good of a good clubhouse guy he may have turned himself into since that incident earlier in the season. if, If I'm a raised player, especially if I have kids, especially if I have a daughter, I don't want that guy back in the clubhouse at all. Yeah,
1: because it's obviously a lot of, and this isn't about growing up. This is beyond that. You could say the mistakes he made when he threw home, is a, that's a maturity thing. What he's done with these women has nothing to do with maturity. It's just stupidity, ignorance, and sickening to even hear about somebody doing this stuff at someone that is his age.
2: Fourteen. The girl's not, the know? girl's not even a woman. She's a she's a she's a child, Larry. Right. She's a child. Uh, yeah. How does he sleep? How does he sleep at night?
1: Well, he's gonna going forward. He's not gonna be sleeping very well. Let's hope. If, and once again, we don't know. We didn't get all the facts yet. Like you said, it's not looking good for him. But I'm gonna hold judgment. You know, complete judgment until. I get all the facts, but if the facts that I'm hearing are true, I'm just nauseated and sick by the entire thing. And if it is true, Brett, I hope he never plays Major League Baseball again. That's just my own personal opinion.
2: But let's and go that's you as a Rays fan saying that too.
1: That's correct. Because you know what? There's more important things important in life And don't get me wrong, this is you and I that are huge sport fans, but we do realize the place of sports in real life. And this goes beyond the game of baseball and is more serious than any sport game or any sporting event could be.
2: The only other thing I can compare it to, at least in my mind, as a Hornets fan was the Miles Bridges situation. I have like two Miles Bridges jerseys in my closet that I wore on a regular basis. And as soon as the story came out, I threw him in the trash. I was like, I don't, I don't care if he resigns. I just going to play for the Hornets this year. I'm not rooting for him. Hope he turns the ball over every time he gets it. Hope the Hornets win, but I hope he stinks. Yep.
1: Well, let's move on, my friend. I mean, we wanted to make sure everybody was aware of it because it is news relating to sports as well as out of sports So. Um it's a sad, sad situation, but not just for Wando Franco. The people involved, it's more of a sadder situation than anything. Now, before we go to break, are the Braves missing Freddie Freeman? You know, of course they're missing him as the, uh, you know, as the Freddie Freeman, the character, the leader on the field. He's batting 337, 23 homers, 83 RBIs. He's even got 16 stolen bases for the Dodgers, but how about Matt Olsen replacing him? Yes, he's batting a little less than the batting average, 274. Um, he struck out 100-something 100, 100 times, but he's got 43 homers and already 107 RBIs. You got to say the Braves did a pretty darn good job replacing someone that Braves fans thought would never be replaceable.
2: I think you'll trade the 150-200 strikeouts for the 40-plus bombs and the 100-plus RBIs and the 980-whatever-ungodly-sluggy uh, percentage he has at this point. I mean, when you look at the numbers that they put up in the first game of that doubleheader a week ago against the Mets, uh, I thought the Falcons and Jets played a preseason game. Like it, was, <laughs> it was a football score. I mean, he had two home runs in that game, too on a terrible weather day in New York, like driving rain, wind blowing in, it's city Field that's already hard enough to hit there. No, Matt Olson goes three for five with two homers and another one that went off the top of the wall and was like inches from being a home run. The Braves aren't missing Freddie Freeman. The Braves, if anything, when you look at the numbers right now, the Braves got an upgrade, and I have no problem saying that.
1: From the home run and RBI standpoint, they did. I don't know much about Matt as far as the clubhouse guy, Um, you know, but I know that everybody loves him on that team. I get to watch the Braves a lot. Like I said, I got the MLA ticket. But I'll tell you what, it's not a bad first baseman either. You know, people forget. So I'll tell you what, are they missing it from a statistical standpoint from a guy on the field? No, they are not. But I'll tell you what. The Dodgers are sure happy they have Freddie Freeman. So, you know, you can't take that away. Let's start a break. When we come back, we're going to have Phil Miller, uh, Minnesota Twins reporter, is going to be joining us. We don't talk much about the AL Central because there's not much to talk about the AL Central. But Phil Miller has a take on it. What are going to get that uh, info from him. Find out about the Minnesota Twins, who's got a huge, huge stretch run coming up here where they got the Rangers and the Guardians, like seven games each. They got the Brewers mixed in. So a lot's going to be told about how Minnesota fares in the next month here. And then when we come back with Brett, some possible landing spots if Shohei Otani should go somewhere. Should be an interesting conversation. I have my picks. We'll talk about that. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll be back right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Frankly Speaking Baseball. You know, we've been talking about, a lot about different teams, the American League East, how powerful they are, but one division we really haven't talked a lot about this season is the AL Central and the Minnesota Twins. Now it is my honor, thrill, and pleasure to welcome in uh, Minnesota Twins reporter at the Star Tribune. Let's welcome in Phil
3: Miller. Phil, how are you doing, my friend? Doing great, Larry. Yeah. Uh, it's a, uh, getting ready for a, quite a stretch run, I think. Yeah, we're going to talk about that
1: in a little bit, but I wanted to ask you a question. Last you know, last year, not a real successful year for Minnesota. Last couple of years, actually. Um, I believe last year they were 78-84, uh, 14 games back in what is considered not a very difficult uh, division, not that I want to say nothing's not difficult, but did you expect the Twins this year after a two-year layoff to be back atop the AL Central?
3: Uh, probably at least uh, one of the top two, and almost certainly because of the weakness of the rest of the division. Uh, you know, like everyone else, we've been waiting for Chicago to, uh, to take off, and it just has never happened. Uh, the Guardians, uh, you know, they seem dangerous, but, uh, you know, you wonder if they had enough uh, hitting. I thought when the Twins signed uh, Carlos Correa, I thought that they would be, uh, and then made the trade for Pablo Lopez, I thought that they would be right in the mix. You, you know, you talk about last year, they finished 14 games out, one thing you don't realize is they were in first place in September, as late as September 4th, I think. They they just collapsed down the stretch, a lot of injuries, and uh, um, they played uh, the Guardians uh, eight times in the stretch of uh, ten days and went one and seven and uh, basically uh, blew their chance to uh, win the division. So uh, I thought that they would be uh, in the race uh, and uh, it's uh it's kind of played out that way they're not that great but uh the division is really uh really having a tough year
1: this year Yeah, no doubt about that and you you know you're right on because this is the twins team if you look at them and you dissect them which you probably have knowing what you do for a living but they're only in 239 with runners in scoring position. Lately, unless I'm just imagining it, it seems like their back end of the bullpen's been struggling a little bit more lately than it has been because I thought it was their strength earlier in the season. Is it safe to say that this team is a power-hitting team, relies on the big home run hit and some solid pitching in
3: order to win? they get uh 48% i believe of all their runs on home runs. Yes, it's uh <laughs> it's very very much a power oriented team. They didn't think it was going to be that way. Uh but uh it uh, it really has uh, turned into the all or nothing show. I mean, uh, they have Joey Gallo on the team and uh there aren't many uh all or nothing uh hitters like that around. I I think that has surprised them a little bit. Uh they thought that they had enough uh, on base uh, to uh, score a little more. And in fact, they were confident enough in that, that they traded Louis Arise, who's, who, is, uh, who won yeah. the batting title last year and is going to win the other league's batting title this year. Uh, so I, I think that shocks them uh, to the extent that uh, that home runs have uh, have had to carry them this year.
0: Let me ask you
1: this. We're talking to Phil Miller, Minnesota Twins Report at Star Tribune. You mentioned Joey Gallo, and you hit it right on. He's all or nothing. He's either hitting a home run or striking out. I think that's safe to say. He's batting, I think, 185, I think, at the last time I checked. I don't know what it is Mm -hmm. at the moment. But what do you say this isn't great for a team? Yes, he has 20 homers, but like you said, they're not getting men on a lot of men on base, so his RBI total ain't way up there. Um, if you're the manager of this team, Rocco Bodelli, this isn't necessarily just because of his 20 home runs a guy that you want on your team, although you did know what you were getting before you got him because it's the same thing he's been doing throughout his career.
3: Yeah, he, he had a big April and kind of carried them a little bit in April and uh that they looked really smart at the time. But uh Joey Gallo has gone through some unbelievable uh streaks of uh well he had until uh, last uh Friday, Saturday, he had four hits this month. He went four for four on Saturday, two homers, and uh uh and doubled that. But there was, as we came up to the trade deadline, there was a lot of talk that if the Twins traded for a uh, right-handed outfielder, an outfield bat, and uh, they've they've had a couple of injuries now since then. But there was a lot of talk that would they uh, would they waive Joey Gallo? Would they uh, cut ties with him? How many teams do you ever consider cutting ties with their home run leader? But uh, that's it's kind of the season that uh, that he's at. It's. Uh, Identical to last year to ask Yankee fans, uh, what it looked like. Um, he just seems hopeless at the plate sometimes, and then four for four with the walk on Saturday, uh, and uh, five RBIs. And you think, uh, you know, where's that guy? Exactly.
1: Been? Yeah, you know, you got some young guys that I really like. Um, love to get your assessment on because I really like them. Obviously, Royce Lewis, I mean. You know, the more this kid gets to play, I think he was injured for a while. He's going to be a good ball player. Matt Wallner, I got to watch the other day. I was real impressed. And then you got a young guy um, who's injured right now. Haven't seen him in a little while. Name uh Alex, I think it's pronounced Kriloff Karol- or something. Karoloff.
3: Karoloff. Karoloff, yes.
1: Those three guys that, you know, young guys that could be
3: the future of this team. And you're leaving out uh, the, probably their best rookie this year, uh, Edouard Julian, uh, the, the second baseman who is uh, the closest thing to a Louis Arise pure hitter that that, that uh, they've had. He has uh, he he, he uh, came up when uh, Jorge Polanco was injured uh, earlier in the year, and basically has made it impossible to send him back down now. So. They do have a lot of young talent. This is going to be a team in transition, and uh, over the next year, uh, as they uh, shed some of the veterans um, uh, and move guys like uh, Walner and uh, Kirillov, who uh, also a big on base guy that they uh, were kind of counting on, but uh, has had a lot of trouble staying uh, staying healthy. Um, this is this is a team that will look. Different at about seven positions uh, two years from now than what they started with this spring. You know, you look at the starting uh,
1: pitching for this team, it's, I'm not going to say maybe Sonny Gray, it might sound like a sexy name, but the thing about these pitches, except for Mieta, is that they win more games than they lose. So, from that standpoint, even though you're not going to find, you know, a guy that goes, 18 and 7 or 15 and 5, they're doing enough to stay over 500 each of them as a pitcher. And
3: uh, basically, in a division where if you're over 500, you're going to win it. And they have gone through, they have been searching for veteran pitching, reliable pitching for the last few years, going through guys like Matt Shoemaker and Jay Happ, uh, Chris Archer last year, uh, Dylan Bundy guys that they hope uh, that they can kind of resurrect their career and it, and it has not worked out, but they trading for Pablo Lopez has been important. He, um, they traded uh, Nelson Cruz two years ago for Joe Ryan, who has uh, for the first three months of the season uh, looked like the ace of the staff. Um, they've got another guy named Louis Varland who uh, would be first man up. I think if, uh, if they needed another starting pitcher, he's a triple a and he has a, uh, in the looks they've given him, he has he's kind of come through. It is, I think it's the best pitching staff that I have seen that didn't have Johan Santana on it, and uh, that's unusual for the Twins because uh, pitching has been their downfall for the last decade. Um, they finally have five guys, even six uh, now uh, in the starting rotation with Bailey Ober, uh, another right. really young guy who uh, who has looked great for long stretches. Um, so it, it, it's a different kind of twins team. Uh, I, I think um offense has carried them for so long uh, that it thing the tables have turned a little bit.
1: How big is it going to be? I know Joe Ryan's been injured. I've heard talk that he may be be back as soon as next week, maybe. Yeah. How big is that And what is coming down, like you said earlier, to one of the big stretch runs this season for the Twins? How important is it to have him back?
3: Uh, pretty important. I would think that he was the their uh, number one, uh, their game one starter in the postseason. Uh, I would have said that until uh, he uh, came back from the uh, All-Star break and wasn't the same guy and went through uh, – uh, gave up uh, home runs uh, in bunches, uh, two, three, four a game, um, and finally, he did not tell anybody that he uh, he was going, through, he was fighting through an injury, and uh, and uh, uh, that they hope that that explains it. Uh, I would think that they still consider him their number one or number two guy when he's healthy. Uh, he's got that kind of stuff. He's got uh, he's got a fastball that's. Uh, it's only 92 or 93, but it has more swing and miss potential than uh, than their hard throwers. Um, so uh, I, I would put him in the top. Sonny Gray uh, with him, and uh, Pablo Lopez and Bailey Ober behind him. I would think that that's how they would go, should they get to the playoffs. And uh, we know that it's uh, we know from last year that it's too early to uh, count on that
1: you know, you mentioned and we talked about it a couple of times this stretch run coming up. They got Pittsburgh this weekend. Then they play the first place Brewers, the first place Rangers, and then the team fighting with them for the battle in the AL Central, who's only four and a half games out, the Cleveland Guardians, and everybody knows when you have a Terry Francona on the other side, you never count that team out. Talk about the importance of these next four series. And how it can decide uh, the fate really can of the Minnesota Twins.
3: Yeah, and they have not uh, always risen to the occasion against some of the better opponents uh, this year. Although they uh, did just take two out of three in Philadelphia, which uh, gave them uh, a little, uh, a little bit of a boost. Uh, yeah, they. Uh, you're right. It, and actually, the schedule goes uh, Rangers, Guardians, Rangers, Guardians over a. Uh, two-week uh, path, and that's uh, that's playing one of the hottest teams in baseball and the team that just absolutely obliterated them down the stretch to uh, steal the division. Things are a little different this year. They are – well, they're only four games above 500, I believe, uh, but the Guardians are five below and have not looked like a real uh, challenger to them. So uh, this uh, – yeah, these this next three weeks uh, I think probably decide the uh, – Decide the division Um, and uh, you know last year we thought the same thing and uh, they fell apart so uh, I will be interested to see if there's any any carryover uh, memory from uh, from just how badly things went uh, last year.
1: Phil Miller Minnesota Twins report at Star Tribune. Phil you've had four years now to assess Twins manager Rocco Bodelli. What is your assessment of him from first a manager, as far as just his style and how he relates to his players? Uh,
3: he used to not be the uh, he used to be older than I mean uh, younger than uh, one of his players when Nelson Cruz was here, uh, and uh, that's kind of the uh, that's that's what it feels like. He feels like one of the players. He's very much got a player sensibility. You know, his career was greatly damaged by injuries and he knows what it's like to go through that and so he's very very mindful of what can i do to help keep these players healthy um it frustrates fans i know that uh, that he tends to sit uh players down uh more than they would like that he doesn't push pitchers to uh throw even a hundred pitcher pitches is pretty rare for him um he's also a guy that doesn't like to take credit i'll tell you this i've never encountered a a coach or manager in pro sports who is more willing to say i don't know boy you got me when you ask him a question uh he's he does not pretend to have all the answers um he is uh but he's relentlessly upbeat uh the the players love him in the clubhouse um he's very honest uh and you know you ask him and he'll say he's trying to you know he's trying to be the kind of manager that he would have liked to have played for when he was going through a career that was full of promise and uh, ended up uh, uh, hampered by injuries, I guess.
1: More questions. We'll let you run Phil. You mentioned that he doesn't allow a lot of the pitches and you're absolutely correct. Throw more than a hundred pitches uh, is definitely uh, pre-maintenance on making sure they're not going to get injured by throwing too many pitches. And you and I talked earlier about, The bullpen not being, you know, the back end of the bullpen struggling more than it had previously. Do you think this is some of maybe uh, the reasoning being that maybe the bullpen has been being
3: overused because he doesn't allow the starting pitches to go that much? You you hear that a lot. Sonny Gray mentioned it in spring training, uh, kind of uh, floated that theory himself. Uh, And it definitely, I think, was the case last year. The bullpen was worn down. Uh, this year, um, for one thing, they found uh, um, a great uh, right-handed reliever in Brock Stewart, who unfortunately has uh, missed a month and a half now uh, with an injury. But uh, the the back of the bullpen, uh, I think they feel pretty confident if they uh, have a lead uh, in the seventh inning. Uh, Yohan Duran is one of the great uh, unknown relievers, I think, uh, around the – around the league. He's thrown a couple pitches, 105 miles an hour, which uh, you can imagine uh, how hard that is to hit. Um, He has given up a few runs lately, but I don't think any team wants to face him in the ninth inning. Um, They have Emilio Pagan, who used to be a closer in San Diego, has gone through some rough times here, but is having a strong year as a setup guy. Uh, If they can get uh, Brock Stewart back, they have Caleb Thielbar back uh, to be their left-handed guy. Um, the last uh, six weeks have been pretty up and down for the bullpen, but they feel like uh, they're they're starting to uh, uh, turn it around a little bit. I, I think, especially with Duran, I think they go into the postseason um, should they get there, uh, feeling like they've got a ninth inning guy that they can trust. And it's been a few years since they can say that, too.
1: And that was my last question. You segued right into it is, if this, I don't even think it's a matter. Of, if I really believe this team in this division is the best, let's just say hypothetically they get to the playoffs. Do they have enough on this team to compete with the other teams that'll be in the playoffs and make a run at it?
3: You mean win you a mean single that's game? A game? That's the no, not a single game, but you know, you know well, what I'm saying i just saying uh, that that is the first step for the uh, for them. They have lost 18 consecutive postseason games. They have not right. won a postseason game since uh, 2004. It's one of the it's one of the most uh, uh, weirdest streaks I, I I think you can imagine in sports because you would think they would uh, luck into one at some point. Um, that'll be step one, and that is what the fan base wants. Do they have enough to go deep? Uh, I don't. I, I think that good pitching has uh, has really given them trouble this year, um, but the postseason, you know, home, uh, home runs and good pitching can carry you. Those are the things that the Twins have. It would have to be, you know, it'd be a shock like the Phillies making the World Series last year. Um, but uh, I am a believer that once you get to the tournament, anything can happen. They're not. They're they're built for uh, a hot streak, even though uh, um, they've only had uh, a couple. Well, they haven't really had a, uh, a tear-it-up streak this year. But uh, I, I think they feel confident with their starting pitching, hit some home runs, and uh, and see how it goes. So I'm not going to write them off.
1: All right, my friend. Well, listen, Phil, I want to thank you very, very much. Taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on Frankly Speaking Baseball. Good talking to you, Larry. All right, you too. Take care. All right, that was Phil Miller, Minnesota Twins reporter at Star Tribune. Let's go ahead let's take a break, and we'll be back right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back, TV friendly speaking baseball here on WWBG 1470 a.m. W T O B 980 a.m. 96.7 FM. And let's not forget Tobaccular SportsRadio.com, as well as streaming live on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Twitch. What a great show we've had so far. And you know, we're gonna talk about a topic that if you live in California, especially in the LA area, you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to even think about it uh, because you the thought of the greatest baseball player, and I'll say it, Brett, to possibly ever play the game.
2: And I'm going to agree with you.
1: Could be on the move. Could be on the move. Should not be on the move. But what are some of the possible locations that all-star Shohei Ohtani could land? We're going to start with you first, Brad. Where do you think, if it's not um, the Angels, okay? But we're not going to include the Angels in this for the sake of argument. Where are some landing spots that you would think would be intriguing to Shohei Ohtani?
2: I'm going to rule... I, you know, I, I know we're going to rule that for the sake of argument, but even without that, I, w- I would rule out him returning to the Angels. I I think I think he decided he was out the door regardless of whatever saving face they tried to do at the trade deadline this year, and we now see, given their record currently, that that has more than backfired. But I think you have to look at the Dodgers. Uh, I, I think he wants a large market. Uh, I think he wants a passionate fan base to play in front of. Um, stop right I, there.
1: Stop Stop one minute. And I want to interject because you and I are thinking on the, way, the same wavelength, but I'm going to ask you this question. And for those fans listening, this is in no discriminatory way, but how much – first of all, California, if you folks don't know it, is one of the – I think it is the highest state besides Hawaii, okay? Um, I'm not saying I don't count Hawaii as a state from a baseball standpoint. It doesn't have a baseball team, but it's the highest Asian population in the United States. Do you think it's important to any player, whether they're Hispanic to play like in Miami or Shohei Otani, who is of the Asian descent, to play in a population that is highly populated with people where they come from?
2: I don't think that matters. I don't any of those guys. I think they're going to play baseball where, wherever they're going to play baseball. And I especially just don't think it matters population-wise to me Ohtani. I think what matters to Shohei Ohtani is how many eyeballs can I get on myself knowing that I am one of one, the greatest talent to ever walk on a baseball diamond. How many eyeballs can I get on me on any given night? How many people can I electrify every fifth day on the mound? How many people can I hit absolute one hundred and twelve point five mile an hour missiles at <laughs> in, in right right center field seats? You know, Shohei Ohtani wants to go and play not only where he has a chance to win, but where the ballpark is going to be full pretty much every night. Unfortunately, that's not going to be a small market. So, I you know Yankees, Dodgers, Mets. Red Sox, the 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 quote unquote marquee franchises. Would the Cardinals be one? Yes. Are they in a big market? No. So I think you have to look at Chicago, both teams, Cubs and White Sox. Which it pains me to say that. You have to look at Boston. You have to look at both New York teams. You have to look at the Dodgers. He's not going back to the Angels. I think if, if, if those five, it, it, it's a pick of the litter between for, for Shohei Ohtani between, all right, which one of these large market teams do I have the best chance to win with? That's where I'm going.
1: Well, I'll tell you right now, you hit on the teams that I thought. I had, first of all, um, the Dodgers were one of them, but the two teams, if I'm Shohei Ohtani, and what you say is true, big market where you can get fans every night that fill the seats, I'm going to Oak- – no, no, not Oakland. What am I saying? whoa! Well, uh, well, uh, well. uh, no, I'm going to play in front of
2: cardboard cutouts.
1: <laughs> but no, honestly, I'm going to one or two teams, and they're both in the American Leagues. I'm going to Fenway Park or Yankee Stadium because when I hit that ball – and Fenway Park, you know that short corner, and you know Yankee Stadium, both are conducive for left handed hitters. And then he gets the pitch. Now, from a pitching standpoint, I'd rather pitch in Yankee Stadium, <laughs> excuse me, than Fenway Park because of the dimetrics of the stadium.
2: But I mean, either way, at that point, you're pitching on a wiffle ball field, so it doesn't really matter.
1: But I'll tell you what, if I'm him, I would put Boston very high up there. A lot of people would I would too. Yeah, because of the um and they, they're a team that's not far away from winning.
2: I think they might even be closer than the Yankees at this point. I mean, this is the latest into a season since before Bill Clinton was elected president. That they've been under five hundred. The latest the that the Yankees. This is yeah. the latest into a season since nineteen ninety five, when they lost to the Mariners as the wild card that year. That they've been under five hundred. I mean, they're, they're serious dysfunction going on. Uh, I think the I Red have Sox a better
1: chance of winning the lottery than Aaron Boone does of keeping his job.
2: Yep, and one thing I will touch on: the Red Sox just went out and signed another Japanese superstar this last winter, Masataka Yoshida, who has played a great ex- year. exceptionally well. They also have uh, another one of Shohei Ohtani's uh, WBC Asia Pacific mates, Yu Chang, uh, who was a standout for Chinese Taipei in the WBC. So he's got familiarity with both of those guys. And when you talk about adding him to a lineup with um, the way that uh, Bobby Dahlbeck has played all year uh, for the Red Sox, this is a team that's, Very, very close to being the class of the AL East, I think.
1: I don't disagree with that. And I think out of all the teams, now, once again, I'm sure he goes in. Anybody that has money is going to try to go after him. But at the end of the day, I think Boston could be the best fit for Shohei Otani. That's just my opinion on it. All right, let's move on. (laughs) I had a drink of water. Now I can't stop coughing here. Um... I don't know if you noticed this, but you and I talked about watch out. Watch out for two teams, one in the AL and one in the NL, that will come back and make a run. In the AL, if you remember it, we said the Seattle Mariners. They're only a half game behind now in the wild card. The other one in the National League, which shouldn't surprise anyone, the San Diego Padres are only four and a half games back. How about that?
2: It's almost like we know what we're talking about.
1: (laughs) Don't tell anyone. You ruin our reputation (laughs) that way. But, you know, Seattle, we talked about this last week. When Kalanick went down, we thought it – I didn't think it was over. I just think they were in a lot tougher position. They've been playing some great football. Listen to me. Getting ready for football here. Baseball. But, you know, San Diego, we'll talk about it in a minute, but San Diego, there's only one way in, and that's the wild card because the hottest team in baseball right now is the Los Angeles Dodgers, who I know they're 10-0 in their last 10 games. They are playing great baseball. Let's talk about the American League wild card a minute. Right now, when you look at it, I'm pulling it up here just to make sure I have it up to date. Seattle, you got Tampa Bay, Houston, and Toronto. How the hell Tampa Bay staying in there is besides me with all the crap that's happening there. Houston um, is in there by three games. Toronto is only a half game up on Seattle and a team you just mentioned. The Boston Red Sox are only three and a half games out. Looking at it from your point of view, we only got what? Six weeks left of the regular season, roughly that much, uh, little over 50 games, I think. I'm just throwing that out there. Use that mind of yours. Who, besides Tampa Bay and Houston, I'm going to lock them in for right now, unless you don't think any of them are locked in. But between Toronto, Seattle, and Boston, who do you think prevails?
2: I think those top two are locked in, for sure. Um, I I like the way Toronto set up uh, of those three options. I think Seattle's got a shot. Uh, I don't think they have what it takes to sustain things down the stretch. I think Toronto has the right pieces. They went out and got the right pieces at the trade deadline uh, to now add Bichette's some coming back to add some depth there. Bo Bichette not lost. He is coming back. That's almost like making a trade, and they went out and got Paul DeYoung to fill the gap for you know the four to six weeks that Bo Bichette was going to be out. So we look at Toronto pitching wise, they're loaded. They went out and got Jordan Hicks to add to that bullpen. He's been fantastic for them. Yes, We knew they had the offense. They went out and bolstered the pitching at the deadline, added a couple of offensive depth pieces as well. They had been a pretty consistent team all year, but now we're really starting to see what they're made of. And I think down the stretch we're going to see um, a Blue Jays team that is seasoned, that is poised, uh, and that that knows their knows what they have to do, and they've got the pieces in place to get it done.
1: I agree with that sentiment. I think Toronto—they got somebody else back just now. I forget who it was, but that team is looking better now with all the pieces coming back. So watch out for Toronto. I want to move to the NL wild card before we wrap it up because it's intriguing me. We mentioned San Diego. Then, when you look at this NL, look how tight it is. You have San, okay, Philadelphia three and a half game lead in the wild card. San Francisco one and a half game lead. Chicago, Cincinnati, and Miami are all tied for that last spot. Arizona, your team. I say your team because you've been pulling for them. One and a half game back. And then you got San Diego four and a half games back. For those of you New York Met fans watching, seven and a half games back. Don't, it'll There's be still more hope. Amazing than nine, or more amazing than nineteen sixty-nine if this happens. But I want to get your take on that final. I have my opinion, but before I tell you who I think the team that prevails in that third or You know, it could be the top two more spots in the NL. How do you think the NL wild card ends up?
2: As much as I love Arizona and I love what they've done and been able to do, and as much as I love what Miami has been able to do, there's no team out of those options that has the most seasoned and most experienced talent to know what style of baseball to play this time of year than the San Diego Padres. They have the pitching, they have the offense, they have the defense, but they also have the experience. They have the seasoning to know what to do at certain situations in crunch time, in important dog days of August, you know, important September baseball games. Miami hasn't been there. Arizona hasn't been there. For all these teams, their postseason is every day for the next 50 games. That's correct. And of the three teams that would know best what to do every one of those given nights, I am putting my money on the San Diego Padres over a team of youngsters in the desert or a team of youngsters in South Beach.
1: All right. I... I think the favorite is there's no question asked would be San Diego because of the pitching I watched Blake Snell yesterday night it was tremendous. I love this guy Grisham they have who played a great game last night as well because everybody talks about Machado and the but this kid was incredible. Ha
2: Sung Kim as well. Nobody talks enough about that guy. That guy is a who's that hitter? Ha Kim, the second baseman, yes. who yeah. basically booted Jake Cronenworth from that spot. Because you have to get his bat in the lineup. That guy is a ball player.
1: I'm going to tell you something. I really like the Chicago Cubs chances. And I'll tell you why. People laugh at me. First of all, I think they have a terrific lineup. We talked about that last week. Uh, They got decent pitching, especially their bullpen. But a lot of things that go unnoticed with this Chicago Cubs team is they are in the top five in fielding in all of Major League Baseball. And you and I say so much on this show pitching and defense wins championships. Now, I'm not saying crowned in the World Series here, but I'm saying that down the next six weeks, it's the teams that play the most flawless baseball that have the best chances of winning. And I'm telling you right now, I would think it's between those two teams, the Cubs and the Padres. And with the right now, I would say the Cubs would. Uh, you know, four and a half game lead up on San Diego could just inch him out in that wild card spot. That's just my opinion.
2: I mean, as a Cardinals fan, everything you just said makes me incredibly nauseous. Yeah, I'm I'm like about to, you know, dry heave puke right now. It's disgusting. do that on the air. Yeah, no, I'd save that for after the show, but... You talked about defense, yes. When you have Kyle Hendricks, who throws a maximum of 75 miles an hour and gets a ton of ground balls, and then you have Justin Steele, another pitch-to-contact kind of guy, they've got a great defense behind them. Guess what? The Padres have the same thing. They have Joe Musgrove, who throws a maximum of 80 miles an hour, gets a ton of ground balls. Blake Snell's that, uh, you know, 1A pitch-to-contact, 1B has that nasty slider over-the-top 12-6 curve breaking ball to pull out of his back pocket, or he can go 96 when he wants to. Both these teams are set up basically the same way, which is why, for me, it comes down to experience. Justin Steele hasn't pitched important September baseball games. Kyle Hendricks hasn't pitched important September baseball games since 2016, the last time the Cubs won the World Series, which, by the way, they've only won once in 108 years, but, you know. Anyways, for me, it comes down to experience. There are a lot of guys, young guys in that Cubs lineup as well. Christopher Morel is playing fantastic. Yep, He hasn't taken at-bats in the middle of September when his team's in a pennant race. Manny Machado has. Fernando Tatis Jr. has.
1: Well, I guess what, buddy? Only time will tell. And you know what? We have to end on that note, actually, because we are running out of time. But once again, there's so, much, there's so much to talk about. We, you know, in an hour show, you just can't get it all in. But once again, folks, another great show, another great episode, and we're gonna have even more as time crinkles down here in the pennant races in Major League Baseball. Make sure to tune in next week, same time, same place, same
0: channels. For Fred Wiseman, I'm Larry Frank. Good night.